Welcome to TD Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, my name is Charles Reed, TD Cowan's healthcare technology analyst, and welcome to the TD Cowan Future Health Podcast. Today's podcast is part of our monthly series that continues TD Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, consumerism, and policy is changing the way that we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And in this episode, we're taking a look at the pharmacy benefit or PBM ministry, which has been instrumental in managing down the cost of prescription drugs and plays a vital role in holding back the rising cost of healthcare. Yet the industry is not without controversy, often criticized for lack of transparency, perverse incentives, particularly around rebates. But it's also an industry that has continued to evolve as the healthcare landscape has changed. And more recently, we've seen new entrants enter the market using technology to disrupt the status quo of the PBM industry. And in this episode, we explore how we've gotten to where we are, who's potentially to blame, and how do we solve the biggest issue, making drugs more affordable for the consumer. And to help us discuss this topic, I'm joined by Mark Thier, co-founder and CEO of Waltz Health, and Jeff Park, president of Waltz Health. Mark and Jeff are longtime industry veterans of the PBM space and helped transform the industry over the past 20 plus years, starting with SXC Health Solutions, growing it as Catamaran to become one of the major players in the PBM industry, before being sold to United's Optum RX in 2015 uh, for $13 They're now back here with Waltz Health, the digital health company developing technology-enabled ways to bring down prescription drug costs. So thanks for joining me today, guys. Thank you, Charles. It's great to be with you today. So, you know, maybe to start, if we look back, you know, gosh, uh, you know, 20 years or so, you know, uh, you would find a very different landscape for PBMs, you know, right? There were multiple players at the time. They were all independent, largely probably driven by rebates for profitability. You know, specialty wasn't that big yet. Uh, neither was mail order. Uh, maybe talk a bit about what that, what the market looked like at that time. Yeah, Charles, and thanks again for having us. It's it's uh, you've always been a great student of this business. Look, I paged back and thought about it many times, and Jeff and I talk about it a lot. If you if you wind back and think about the 1990s when PBMs were heating up, there were really three primary players: Medco, Express Scripts, and Caremark at the time. And then call it 50, maybe 75 middle market players, younger PBMs trying to gain footing, and we had a pretty fortunate position in that market because at the time, SXC was positioned as sort of the intel inside. We were clearing claims for roughly half of those players and um, gave us a very unique, I'd call it a 360 degree vantage point. And so in those early days, it was all about, you know, billion, billion dollar blockbuster drugs. You'll remember Lipitor and Pravacol and Paxlin. And it was about rebates. The business was about rebates. And then in the early innings, migrated to mail order, where 90-day supplies earned bigger rebates and lower prices. So that was what the early days were like. And just as a reminder, for all the shrapnel the industry takes, we were saving money for clients big time back then and continue to do so. And so early days were important. Um, and now we find ourselves in a very different spot. But it's fun for me to think back on what it was like back then. Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned a, a few of those. When we look forward today, you know, what what do you think the biggest changes to the industry has been since, uh, you know, since back then? 
Charles, it's Jeff Park. Nice to nice to hear your voice again, um, and appreciate you giving us an opportunity. First of all, you know, when you look at what a, the change has been, the focus has always been the same, even from the time when Mark was talking about, which is bringing down the cost of prescription drugs, and that is driven by price and utilization. So, price being the most important piece. But as as you know, high cost branded drugs drive costs. And we have continued to find ways to introduce new products into the industry that have been blockbuster drugs, but also significant costs. So of the 6.9 billion prescriptions that are written and filled, what was different is today, 90% of them are generic. Back 15, 20 years ago, it was 65, 75%. But the big cost drivers are specialty. So less than 5% of the prescriptions are driving more than 51% of the cost. It's really shifted what our role as an industry is to drive down and make manage savings. So that's probably the biggest change. The other change I'll add to Jeff's comment is the configuration of the industry's changed. And now you see vertical integration with insurance companies owning PBMs. And the three largest PBMs are obviously attached to a very large insurance company. And so you have to ask yourself what's going on here and why is this happening? And it's happening because drugs have become perhaps the most important part of the healthcare equation. They're certainly the most visible and highly utilized portion of the benefit. But, you know, if, if you stop to think about it, integrating pharmacy into medical management, which is the whole thesis here, um, has become a very critical value driver in healthcare broadly. The other reason is there's tremendous profitability in the pharmacy businesses. And this is why these insurance companies have placed higher bets on that on that portion of their businesses. And so it's really made the business more complicated, but on many levels, you know, there's method to their mag- mad- madness of combining with, uh, combining with PDM. Yeah. I mean, you know, touching on that, you know, with, with the major PBMs folded into, you know, big insurance carriers, you know, ha- has it really changed how the PBM model itself works, or is it more just having the pharmacy benefit more more tied to sort of the medical benefit? Well, I think it's changed it in, in many regards. Uh, first of all, by having a combined offering of medical, pharmacy, uh, but also all of the peripheral components alongside of it, which is rebate aggregation, as well as uh, uh, group purchasing organizations and wholesaling, it's, although it may be set up to drive for bigger scale, the industry requirements for scale is much different. It's added a lot of complexity and the complexity has added a lot of confusion and a lack of trust. And so um, there's a a lack of trust in that the PBM and the payer systems are working as effectively as they need to, to drive down costs that patients can see. And so really needing to bring in more visibility to what's happening. In uh, tools and technology are a solution to do that. The other fortune of that, Charles, and I know you've got another question, but to add to Jeff's comment, the big change there with the vertical integration of health plans with PBMs is the PBM model was closed before. It's even more closed now. And when I say that, I mean exclusive specialty offerings, exclusive formula, exclusive mail order, all these things to try and keep it in the four walls of these integrated PBM health plan entities, um, that's become more pronounced. And uh, you're hearing them talk about in their public comments, pharmacy first. It's really elevated, you know, the importance of pharmacy and healthcare. 
when you have insurers talking about their managed pharmacy programs first and things like investor days and elsewhere, uh, you can answer your own question, which is it has really become critical for these integrated properties. Yeah. And, you know, and certainly one of the controversies also sits around specialty pharmacy, right? That these captive specialty pharmacies, you know, given Jeff to your point that, you know, over 50% of the spend, you know, is, is coming in this category alone, you know, uh, how, how has that relationship changed over time? Um, it, it almost seems like it's really the primary driver of uh, PBM model itself. Is that is that the right way to think of it? Well, it, you know, 51% of the costs are where uh, the biggest dollars are, and it's also where a lot of the profitability is. So, you know, spread revenues, rebating, specialty dispensing, you know, these are still at the core of where profitability sits. And it's really wrapped around a supply chain model, bringing better better pricing, lower costs, and clinical programs to these patients. And if you're looking at payers and they're asking questions, you know, where are my costs going? It starts with what was specialty? What is specialty cost going to be? And what it, what's the future look like in specialty? It's, it's, it is where all of the dialogue is. You know, we as an industry have figured out how to get a 90-day supply of a low-cost generic into your hands. We need to be worried about how to manage specialty costs. That's really true, and I'll add by saying if you just rewind the tape a little bit, the specialty business has been fascinating to be part of, and we've had the good fortune of helping to drive the newer models. And, you know, way back in the Caremark days, Caremark Therapeutic Services sort of was the innovator and the start of this whole thing, and now all of a sudden, it's 51% of the costs running through the pharmaceutical supply chain. So it grew very rapidly. Big investment was required to build these factories and the capability to handle high cost, very complex uh, medications, primarily injectables. It grew out of the or old mail order model. Uh, it was really a derivative of the mail order model. And then, you know, we, back in the catamaran days, built a dedicated, highly technical specialty pharmacy starting in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And now it's gone on. And, and, and this industry has become front and center in all of PBM. In fact, over half of the profit of any of the big three P&Ls is in specialty. And that didn't used to be like that. Yeah. Maybe want to switch gears a little bit and and then talk about sort of where we're now. Obviously, we just talked touched on that specialty is a, a major portion of, of driver. Rebase to a certain extent has kind of fallen down the pecking order, at least from the PBO standpoint. But, you know, funny enough, right, it, it remains sort of in the spotlight of consumers or, or how do you say it, um, in front of regulators and, uh, you know, Capitol Hill and, and quite frankly, right, as long as I've been following this industry, you know, the, the, this industry has always been seen to be cast, you know, not in a favorable spotlight. And, you know, curious, you know, given, you know, a lot of what we just talked about in, in helping customers save money, why, why do you think that's been the case? I think it's been the case because of market power. And PBMs have unbelievable market power. All the years that Jeff and I were in the traditional PBM business, we had a lot of power. What do I mean? The businesses we do business with were price takers. Pharma was a price taker. The stores were a price taker. Wholesalers were price takers. And in fact, the employers who bought our services were effectively price takers. The market power that PBMs exert has put them in this very, very enviable position and profitable position. But it's also kind of put you up on the pedestal and nobody likes being on the receiving end, uh, you know, as a price taker. So it's not a great place 
to be on the other end of a negotiation when you're coming up the, on the, with the short end of the stick. And anybody who does business with these large integrated models um, are at a disadvantage from a uh, negotiation standpoint. Nobody likes to be in that position. That is where this negative, sort of all the negative messaging that you hear, that's where it comes from, in my opinion. But at, at its core as well, I'd say patients and payers, they, they don't really trust or want the government to solve the problems that are happening in healthcare. It's too complicated. And, and to Mark's point, they're, they're not necessarily looking to the PBMs to uh, think they could be trusted to police themselves across these multiple pools and profitability that they have. And so really what's needed is new technology to drive better thinking into what's happening. And uh, the markets have changed. And being able to introduce price competition at the point of care, at the time you're standing at a pharmacy, and ensure that patients are getting lowest price, the tools and technology are available, marketplaces are being created, it is what the industry is looking for. You know, that's interesting. You you, you bring that up because I, I feel like the one area that's that's been overlooked for a really long time is the the patient at the at the at the point of care, right? You know, their out of pocket costs, particularly with high deductibles, you know, they're, they're you know, if anyone's getting really the short end of the stick, it, it really is is the consumer, right? And 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 it's interesting for an industry that's really been focused on lowering the the cost of drugs. Why, why has the PBM industry kind of overlooked the the member for so long? And why is it only now that, you know, you're seeing this kind of renewed focus, you know, on the, on the member? It's a really good question. And the answer is because growing up in the PBM industry, consumers didn't buy our service. Health plans and employers bought our service. And we never spent a lot of money thinking about the consumer. We never really focused on marketing to or even appealing to the consumer. They weren't part of the decision process to award us the business. And so it's been underinvested because they weren't a decision maker. And now these health plans have had to cost shift so much of the burden to the member. The member is in the mix big time. And now they're ill-equipped in some cases to actually deliver a consumer experience that's meaningful. So this is what we're focused on. And I know at some point we'll talk about Walt's health. We're all about the consumer. We're all about tools and technology to enable them to make better decisions and to see, have clarity and see into the channel and see price. So this has been missing. It's never been provided. It's still not being provided, and it's 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 a huge market opportunity. Uh, and yeah, we'll we'll jump into that uh, you know very shortly. But but maybe before we do, just obviously a lot of focus on Capitol Hill. On, on the PBM industry. And I know, Jeff, your, your point is that, you know, I think most people would rather not have the government intervene, uh, or, or many people at least would rather not have the government intervene in this. Uh, but there, you know, there are intermittent attempts over the years to legislate PBMs, including uh, a number of bills that are kind of uh, trying to approach the issue, you know, in some fashion, particularly around transparency and um, maybe around spread pricing. I, I guess your thoughts, do you expect sort of these policy efforts to, to result into any meaningful changes, you know, over the near to medium term? Well, first of all, it's a great question. It's complicated business to change. That's the one thing that's for sure. And the second thing that's for sure is that uh, divided government makes it difficult to make change through legislative effects. So there's always been discussion and there's gonna, going to continue to be discussion about driving clarity and transparency of price, clarity and transparency of rebating, and where those values need to sit 
whether the patient to your earlier question is paying more of the dollars you know last year 82 billion dollars were paid for by patients for their prescription drug costs and so they're not part of the recipient pool for rebate dollars that are occurring months and months later it's creating this dislocation of where the money is so the government is working in a way to try to drive access to care they don't want restrictions and networks reducing price and 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 targeting profits which is rebate but it's a it is a, a difficult to legislate those changes really better answers is competition drives down price and opening up clarity around price and capabilities is a better tool and that is what payers and patients are accessing you know Charles you'll know this but I chaired PCMA and was on that thing for 10 years and chaired it in the middle and was on the hill and talked to many of the current senators as well as congressmen and their staffs about the machinery that's required the industry has an obligation to come up with new approaches and police themselves rather than having lawmakers legislate from Washington, D.C., because it's very hard for them. You know, you've been following this industry for two decades. It's very hard for a legislator lawmaker to be smart enough on this industry to actually get it right on what changes need to be made from a legislative standpoint. I will say this, I've never in my life, and I've been doing this a long time, seen more saber rattling from the Dems, from the Republicans, from from the actual, you know, HHS, from everyone, including the supply chain itself, arm of the stores. There is so much saber rattling going on on changes are required. I actually think some amount of this is going to take, but it will be the market that drives healthier changes not the government. And that's our, our opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, because ultimately, right, I, I think the question people are trying to ask is we, we continue to see drug prices go up, you know, year on year. And, you know, I think people are, are looking, you know, for people to blame, uh, you know, for this. And, you know, uh, I, I guess the question is, you know, who, who is really to blame for rising drug costs? I mean, there, there's a number of stakeholders in this. Maybe, maybe your thoughts on, you know, who, who we should be really looking at. Well, uh, certainly enough blame to go around. So I'll start with that. Um, you know, to your point, manufacturers are continuing to drive high prices for these new products that are coming to market, but they're also seeing seven to twelve percent annual price increases on these new new medications that are still in the marketplace, getting increased prices. And these innovator products are also driving up rebating, which is part of the profit pools for PBMs and and used utilized by payers. So there's certainly enough blame to go around on what's driving price. You know, when you think about what payers have been trying to do, which is uh, as the utilization of these high cost drugs have increased, they've been trying to find ways to put programs in place to either reduce access to some of these products or shift the costs uh, into the patients. Um, so there certainly is enough blame. Um, it's difficult for for-profit entities and uh, people that are looking to drive growth in their business to try to avoid and ignore where profits can be made in the business models. Um, so there's a lot of blame to go around. But I do think clarity and transparency of, of where the money is, and that is required to sort of help unsort un this tangled mess of where it is. And, and one of the reasons what's exciting about Waltz is that we brought together a team of people who built the industry, the platforms, the technology that runs it, the systems, and we understand where pricing is. And so I think we're uniquely suited to find a way to change some of these from 
evolving into the new models. Yeah. And so I think what Jeff said is the key. We're not really focused on blame, Charles. Um, we're focused on a better management approach and aligning incentives because the blame is a byproduct of misaligned incentives, misaligned incentives relative to price, rebate, utilization. We're coming at it with a pretty clean sheet and we're going to align incentives and it won't be the government that that chalks the field. Uh, we think it's going to be the market and we will, we're going to be right in the middle of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I want to jump into here, into to Waltz perhaps. Uh, one last question though, because you, you brought it up. It's, you know, when we think about misaligned incentives, you know, it, it seems though in part to employer customers, you look at the data, you know, they, they prefer rebates, right? They, they get these guarantees and, and it kind of makes it hard for PBMs to push through, you know, net cost, low net cost models, et cetera. I mean, those, those are, they, they've existed for, for years now, right? And we don't see a lot of as much uptake uh, of them as, as you would have, you know, would really hoped that would have this kind of more greater transparency. You know, how, how do you, how do you change that? Well, I think what you've just suggested is the dirty little secret, which is employers do like the rebates and they just take them and they put them into their own P&Ls as they continue to cost shift to members. What's happening here is members who are paying more and more of the freight are getting smarter. And that's not going to work. This notion of employers taking a rebate and moving it into the core business rather than the benefit that they've committed to their unionized employees, to their staff and salaried employees, this isn't going to work. As members get smarter, they're not going to be able to do that. So I think you'll see a trend for making sure that rebate dollar is in the price of the drug at the store, making sure that rebate dollar is passed on to the member in full. And, and I do believe that's a major change that you'll see, not in the long term, that's in the short run. Um, and so much of what's been lobbied for on the Hill is in and around that idea. We're all over that idea and creating a technology tool set to make it happen. Yeah. So let, let's jump into Waltz then, um, you know, Mark and Jeff, you know, Mark, maybe a little background on, you know, how you kind of came around, you know, you obviously after, after Catamaran, you spent some time at United, both of you there, you know, you, know, you stepped away after a few years, you know, maybe talk about how you, how you came up with the idea of Waltz. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the uh, Jeff and I were both at OptumRx, and that was a wonderful experience because, you know, it's a $500 billion enterprise, United Healthcare, and they're the market leader for a reason. It's a very well-run business, and they've got a very large services business in Optum, and OptumRx is the largest operating unit inside it. And so, you know, we've been asked and tasked to make that integration of the Catamaran OptumRx business happen, and we did so successfully. So when I came out of there, uh, and Jeff went on to a new adventure, I uh, grabbed my son, Jonathan, who was working for me inside OptumRx in the network pricing area. And we founded Waltz Health with a goal of rewiring the pharmaceutical supply chain. Now, this is a business we love. We helped build it. It is a very good business. But there are areas that can be improved big time logarithmic improvements. And so we set out for the benefit of consumers and their plan sponsors to move some of the power and some of the economics into their pocket. This is what needs to happen. So put our, uh, I call it our old band back together. It's not just Jeff and I, 
we actually have 35 people who know what to do, who helped build what was SXC, then Catamaran, and much of what OptumRx is today. These 35 people are domain experts. Every one of them knows this industry like the back of their hand, and they've been coupled now with technologists who are coding in the latest and greatest technology tool sets. And so we built the product line, Charles. It's really a five-point product line, and I won't grind you through the whole thing, but it's all aimed at building marketplaces to provide price, price access, price transparency, and putting it in the hands of the consumer. The first place we started was in the retail pharmacy. In the discount card space, which is very fragmented, and the big guys don't play uh, as heavily there, and we started there for a reason, we built a tool that we call Marketplace Search, and this tool is a price comparison tool that's resident at the pharmacy counter. It's now installed in 5,000 stores at four of the leading six uh, chain pharmacy uh, drugstores in the United States. By the time these pilots are finished, it'll be closer to 15,000 stores. What to do? You, the member, walk up to the store and you take out your phone. You punch in a QR code right there. It's sitting on the counter. And in two clicks, you now have the lowest price for that drug, that day, that dosage in that store. And that is disruptive. We've organized, I'd call it reorganized, the discount card space. We took that tool and moved it into the funded space. And so we took Marketplace Search for Pharmacies and embedded in what we call Marketplace Search for Health Plans. And you know there's a number of competitors out there with offerings, some of them single card offerings, and it's basically doing plan pay comparison to cash pay. So many members are asking, why is it that I have insurance with a great insurance company, and yet I could pay less money with cash than the insured benefit? And this is a big problem happening, approaching 15% of the time. This is why you're seeing insurers put these integrated benefits together. And our tool, which we launched in conjunction here with Carillon, called InsureRx in their product line, we've white-labeled it, is a very comprehensive tool. For those members, they'll get the lowest price for that drug that day in that store every time. And so that's our second and really important product. And from there, we're using this bridge. It, we call it a bridge between cash pay and plan pay. And think of that bridge growing and becoming very expanded over time because we're going to move that same technology into the specialty space with the intelligent specialty engine. And here, uh, we have at the core of this a comparator engine. The integrated comparative engine is what we've patented, and basically it's a tool that allows you price comparison with lots of ingestion of data. And the specialty engine is targeting creating a marketplace for high-cost specialty medications. Not a one-size, you know, not a closed network, single pharmacy model. It is an open network model where price is updated daily. And this marketplace is aimed at taking 10 to 15% of the cost out of the specialty drug spend. So if you're an employer or a health plan, you're spending tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in specialty, we're talking about taking very material months, amounts of money out. And this is all through a technology-enabled tool set focused on the consumer, helping them understand how to make the best decisions. So that's what we're doing at Waltz, where our value drivers are marketplaces, our value drivers are reducing friction in the system using technology to do it. And our biggest value driver is the consumer. We're giving consumers knowledge and tools 
just to be a better shopper. And it's really actually never existed. So we're, we're, we're very excited about it. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot to unpack there. Um, maybe starting with marketplace search, you know, for discount cash pay market, you know, to your point, right, that, that market's become a significant part of overall pharma spend. Maybe a little bit more. How, how does how does Waltz how does marketplace search uh, differentiate from you know probably other better known players like GoodRx or you know Cubans uh, Cost Plus drugs? Maybe maybe help us understand what what's different here. Great. Well, uh, Charles, you know there's a couple of things. First of all, two great great companies, and their their intent is to try to focus on bringing down costs for patients. So, you know, I think a great step forward. We're aligned on that initiative. Um, when you look at sort of unpacking specifically the value propositions for plans, payers, and PBMs around what being able to introduce these sort of marketplaces in for these 90% of the drugs that are generics, let me unpack that a little bit for you. You know, first of all, as you know, uh, generics are averaging out at about $38, you know, across the board is the net effective price for a generic. Patients have much higher variability based on where they are on their copay, their deductible, their coinsurance. It can range and be quite variable. And then the price of the drugs are variable. And so it introduces so much variability that there are many situations where patients, when they show up, are paying a higher price than the lowest and best available price to them. So by introducing these types of tools and technologies into the ecosystem that we help build while we were at Catherine and SXC, we can drive in real time, lowest price and compete multiple networks, not one network, not one card, but multiple cards to ensure that the patients and the plans are getting the best price available to them. So that'd be one of the distinctions. Now, where does the value get created? Patients on average, when these are in place, are saving $8 per prescription on their drugs and the plans are saving $6. So there is a real savings that are available to the plans and to the patients by making sure they can access these lowest net costs. And I'll just add, because you named two phenomenal companies, very disruptive, and people are talking about them for good reason. GoodRx is a scaled business and very successful, consumer-focused, and Cuban is all anybody wants to talk about. But they are slices of a smaller idea. We've got a very large idea in terms of reorganizing the entire supply chain, and they're part of it, and they will be an important ally in this uh, in this new journey. So um, I hope that helps you kind of get grounded on what we're thinking. Yeah, no, that that does. And, and, and right, so when you look at the, the bigger picture, right, and the one that really jumps out to me is sort of the, sort of your marketplace for, for specialty. And, you know, may, maybe go a little bit more into that because, the way I understand it is, you know, for most employers, you know, you know, let's say TD, for example, with our, with our PBM, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to assume we're exclusive with the specialty pharmacy of our PBM, right? So, you know, how do you then uh, approach this market when, when a lot of employers are already wrapped up into an existing PBM relationship that is tied to an exclusive specialty pharmacy. Yeah, you you have it. So uh, repeat the point that you're trying to make, uh, which is if you've got a PBM and a locked-in specialty, there there isn't price competition for that product. It is set and you're dispensing from one location. 
So that certainly doesn't introduce lowest best cost. Also, in that type of contracting arrangement, the price is set on aggregate average annual guarantee. Notice none of those were the direct price of the drug. So uh, it creates a lot of inefficiency. And if specialty is 51% of the total cost, payers are focused on finding ways to drive down those costs and either contract in unique and new ways and unlock this value proposition that's trapped in behind a PBM contract in many cases. But, but it is about finding savings. So let me tell you a little bit about it. And that's how you can drive savings. So if we can deliver 10 to 15% savings in specialty, people are much more interested in figuring out how and what do I need to do to drive disruption. And that comes from competition of, our, of uh, each of the drugs. We've got some of the largest PBMs in our specialty contracting. They don't have to have locked-in pricing. They'll compete by product, by price. Now, if you look at a specialty drug really quick, you know, the, the drugs, again, can be $1,500 to, to $20,000. When we go through the mathematics of what we've been able to show with our clients and prospects, it's material. So we're seeing, you know, patient pharmacy or pharmacy cost savings of almost $260. We're seeing, in addition to that, the ability to drive savings net of rebates on biosimilars and generic over $500. So you're looking at $800 in savings on each of these claims that can hit. This is a material amount of money and it's what's driving the discussion. Yeah. And so, you know, Jeff was our CFO. It's always been about the money. I'll tell you, strategy wise, we've got two levers. One is pharmacy selection. The second is product selection. So we are going to find the most optimal dispensing site for that member, for that drug inside their plan. And we'll do that through a series of network participation agreements and leading edge specialty dispensing pharmacies. Then we move to product selection because doctors write for these prescriptions. There are choices. Many times in the specialty space, especially oncologic agents, we've got lots of specialty drugs that are generic. And then there's biosimilars. And then there's financial assistance programs that you have to wrap into the calculus. So how do you select a product based on lowest net cost for that member for that drug? And here you're going to need a handshake with the physician because on occasion they'll be required a new prescription. But we've got people here who help build the specialty industry. And that's what we're setting out to do. We're making it simple on pharmacy and product selection, saving money for the benefit of the member and the plan spot. It, it sort of sounds like, right, we're, we're moving away from, you know, what used to be, right, I, I think in the past, a, a lot of things were carved out. You know, you carved out specialty, you carved out mail, you know, PBM was carved out for medical, but then it kind of went into this period where everything was kind of bundled uh, together. Are we moving back to a period where we're starting to disaggregate, unbundle these services? I, I think the impetus for bundling was, in theory, greater efficiency because you had a single single vendor, you could aggressively price down a single contract. You know, but but the way you you know when you think about what you're talking about with specialty here, the the goal we we want to sort of to we want to unbundle it is is that you know is that the path we're moving towards? And yeah, that 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 is the path that we're we're, we're creating a new path. Charles, and that is exactly where it's headed. So if you step back, what are we talking about? We are talking about unbundling the contracts because the PBM industry has always been about two big value drivers. One, software to make good decisions around prescription drugs. And two, contracts. Contracts with the supply chain 
When I say that, I mean manufacturers, generic manufacturers, wholesalers, data players. So this whole notion of combining software with a new set of contracts is what we're doing with Walt's help. We're not going to be a pharmacy. We're not going to touch pills. <clears throat> we're just going to touch data and prescriptions and route them to the most appropriate place to save people money. And so in the old world, these were no cut, no trade, three-year contracts, exclusive, my pharmacy only. I fix price. Price increases are good for me, bad for you. We're going to turn that on its head. And this is going to be a real-time marketplace with real-time updates on price. And the people who accrue benefit are the members and the plan sponsors that pay those bills. So this is actually pretty simple. It's the how that, that, that becomes kind of the challenge. And here you need to know the right people and you need to have relationships with the people who pull the trigger on how do you recontract, put new, you know, economics around the price of these drugs and move that price savings, those concessions to the member. So that's what we're doing. And uh, we're talking to the right people in the supply chain to make that happen. This will take some time, but it is a big idea. When you look at the the, the big PBMs, right, it's not like they're sitting on their hands here. You, you've had, you know, players like CBS and, and Cigna, you know, through their PBM businesses kind of launch new programs, uh, you know, I think TrueCost over at, at CBS, you know, uh, the, the, both of them have partnered with GoodRx on the, the discount card side. All, all of them offer some type of net cost models, you know, so you're seeing the, the big play. I know Optum has kind of announced a few things recently as well. You know, when you look at that, you're, you're seeing an industry that's responding and evolving as well. And, and I think the biggest challenge, you know, when we talk to, you know, consultants is that, you know, they would love to be able to move their clients to the innovative, you know, next generation type PBM, you know, but then, you know, the incumbent comes in, either matches price or, or offers something similar. So yeah, how, how do we, how do we break through and, you know, really, you know, uh, expand this industry again into, into, a, you know, to the next phase? Yeah. Well, there's a lot there, uh, Charles, but um, if you think about what has been the case, uh, three-year lock contracts, Mark said, no cut, no trade. Uh, but the, the but the consultants are looking for something different. They're looking for annual price checks. They're looking to open up to see new platforms and technology solutions that can drive down price. But in the end, you have to be able to deliver savings. There is a, there is a truth to being able to show what you can deliver. The old way where we started the discussion today, which was around, you know, what the models used to be was built on scale and scale buying was better. But when three to 4% of the prescriptions are driving 51% of the cost, it's not about scale. It is about being able to be strategic and surgical about managing these costs more effectively. I think that the industry is talking about transparency and talking about delivering lower costs. I think that's great. Honestly, the industry needs it delivery and execution and how they flow through the systems, that's different. And that takes time. It takes, it's difficult to see exactly what happens. You know, when you have large organizations that own the dispensing, that own the rebate aggregation, that own the wholesaler and own the PBM, when you next say transparency, it's difficult to understand transparent on what. And so being able to have technology that delivers clarity and a team that understands where the money is with the relationships to be able to get the trust to deploy these types of solutions to large plans and payers is part of the answer. 
You know, when we think of unbundling, right, the, the biggest example we've seen recently is Blue Shield of California. They're looking to unbundle uh, th their PBM services and, and they've spread it across a number of players. It's interesting, though, when you look at it, it, it looks very complex, right? And, you know, I, you know, I think the question arises is what types of clients have the capability to manage that type of unbundled uh, relationship? Is it limited to big players like a Blue Shield of California or you know, what about the the average, you know, average size employer that's, you know, a few thousand employees or, or perhaps even less? You know, how, how do you know what what can they do to benefit from, you know, this kind of shifting trend or, or how do they take advantage of that? Well, first of all, I think I'd applaud the move. It is a, it was a bold step breaking apart, shaking up. It's, it's an indicator of disruption and evolution and people trying new models. And so it's not uh, unusual for some of the largest players, the largest payers, and particularly, you know, the West Coast and California to be driving some of these new models and new ideas. Um, but smaller players, employers, and others can participate in these types of disruptions and changes. But it does come back to the same fundamental principles. Can we reduce the cost of care for our patients? Can we deliver excellent care for our employees and members that are part of our plan? And how do you do it more efficiently? It used to be more, much more complicated, but evolution in technology, cloud computing, machine learning, and AI has really opened up the opportunity to unlock values and propositions to engage members in ways that were never here before. And so although the big models and the changes may be happening at the largest players, it is usually where it starts. Uh, we see an opportunity for this to transition the industry. Yeah, and I want to add to that here because it's important. When someone like Blue Shield of California creates such a big splash and such a big change, you've got a market leader basically blowing up the traditional model, but they went to players to reconstruct a similar solution. So, you know, you look at the five players who are underpinning the reconstruction of that solution, they're going to need to staff up and get bringing capabilities to link those all together and make them work because it is that. 10,000 like employer that they're selling to that they want to benefit from those cost reductions and service enhancements. I don't think in a perfect world, you know, rebanding together a smaller set of players to create a service offering that you just had is necessarily the, 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 the pathway to the new world or the pot of gold. We do think it's a realignment of incentives with a new set of contracts, moving this technology around electronically for the benefit of the member. And so, you know, I do salute them and agree with Jeff. Big move. Um, we're kind of coming at it 12 to 24 months down the line here uh, with an entirely new technology-enabled tool set focused on consumers and lowering costs. So a little bit different than what's going on at Blue Shield of California. Yeah, and then, and certainly, we'll we'll see how how that works out over time. You know, maybe maybe as we kind of close out here, what should we be looking out for from Waltz over the next you know twelve twenty four months? What can we expect to see? Well, I appreciate the question, Charles. It's been great talking to you. We've been in the market talking to the smartest consultants in the business. We've been talking to the biggest buyers. We've been talking to pharma. We've been talking to the stores. We've been talking to some of the early disruptor competitors that you just mentioned. And we have been in the market talking about our new model. So what you can expect to see from us 
is a rapid deployment of what we built. Our first two products are in market, good product market fit. But this intelligent specialty engine, we're betting the business on it. It's the future of spend management in all of PBM. And ultimately, we're trying to build free market machinery to lower the prices, to lower the cost of prescription drugs to members. This is free market machinery versus government-mandated price controls, which in our view is a failed enterprise. So you can look at us and, and say, okay, we've got market leaders like Carillon signing on, and there's going to be many more like it. You're, you could expect more of the same to come from us as we go out to rewire the pharmaceutical supply chain and move those savings onto the member and the plan sponsor. That's what we're doing. Great. Well, we're looking forward to that. You know, we'll, we'll end it here. And, and, you know, Mark and Jeff, great to speak with you guys again. And I'm glad to have you back sort of, you know, you know, in the industry and, you know, look forward to you know, keeping tabs on, on the progress as you go forward. Thanks, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Good to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of TD Cowan Insights.